Thank you, Jeremy. And let's give it up for this worship team behind me. Thank you, guys. Such a powerful, rich time of worship. Thank you, guys. That was awesome. All right. Well, good morning, church. How you doing? Doing good? Jesus is here. His presence. Hopefully you feel encouraged and feel stirred in your heart already that, man, we are not worshiping the air, but the Lord Jesus and his presence is with us. So if I haven't met you, my name is uh, Mitchell and lead pastor here at Antioch. And just so glad you guys decided to join us for worship this morning. If you are a guest, I see a few new faces. Fill out that little connect card. You'll see it right in the seat in front of you. Fill that out and you can either drop it in one of those black boxes in the back or you can bring it to the connect booth right after service. We'd love to meet you and say what's up. Before I jump into the message, um, we mentioned this last week, but uh, this Sunday is actually Jeremy B.R.'s last official Sunday as a staff member of Antioch Community Church. And, and so it's bittersweet, but we felt that it would be right that we take a moment to honor and encourage them. So Jeremy and Megan, we all come on up here for a second. <laughs> Woo! Hey. All right. Well, hey, just in front of all of you guys, I just want to say something super simple to you guys. And that is like you have labored well. You have labored well through your prayers, through your discipleship, through your uh, in your encouragement to our church body, and even more specifically to your encouragement to Beth and I as we lead this church. We just wouldn't be where we are without you guys, and we're so incredibly thankful. Now, I'm so glad you're not moving anywhere, going anywhere. Uh, you're going to be here with us. In fact, he's going to preach next month, uh, Jeremy is, but, um, but we just wanted to honor you this morning and say thank you for a job well done and for laboring well. And here's how I want you guys to honor them. I would love to give them a standing ovation this morning. All right, so stand to your feet and give it up for the BRs this morning. Woo! Woo! Yeah! Woo! <laughs> come on. All right, hey, if you know the BRs fairly well, will you just come around them and put a hand on their shoulder? Come on up here if you know them pretty well. We're just going to pray God's blessing over them as they make this transition and that this would be just such a fruitful next step for their life as a family. So y'all can start praying right now, kind of all in one voice, and I'll close it out in just a second. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, we are so thankful for this family. And Lord, I just ask that they would sense that the seeds they have sown, the labor that they have done over these last several years, Lord, not a single one of those seeds they've sown was ever in vain. They have labored really well. And our church is healthier and our church is stronger because of this couple. Thank you for their faithfulness. Thank you for their encouragement. Thank you for their um, admonition to us to walk in truth. Thank you for their loyalty. Lord, thank you for a faithful man and woman and a beautiful family. Lord, we pray your blessing over them. I pray this next season would be the most fruitful in the name of Jesus. They would experience you in new and fresh ways. Thank you for your provision and blessing and favor over their lives. We are grateful for this couple and this family, and we bless them today. In Jesus' name. Amen. Love you guys. Thankful for you. Thankful for you, BRs. 
Hey, if, as, if you've seen them around the foyer today, just give them a big hug and say thank you so much to them for their service to our church body. We really, truly are stronger and healthier and better because of the, that couple right there. All right. Well, um, if you have a Bible, I'm going to turn to 2 Peter. And uh, before I jump into the message, though, just a couple of things. We've got our, uh, at least I see a few of these faces, but our uh, Antioch Discipleship School is back from their little mission trip. They just went on to Tijuana, Mexico, so welcome back, those of you guys that went. Next Sunday, actually, we're going to take pretty much the whole service, and you guys are going to get to hear some really encouraging testimonies from their trip to Tijuana, and then also some uh, broader testimonies of what God has done through these ADS students over this past year, or 10 months that they've dedicated to the Lord, and uh, so get ready for next Sunday, a little testimony Sunday. Also, um, this Sunday is the last Sunday that you're going to see the Welches for like seven weeks. Whoa, just going on a seven-week cruise. I'm just kidding. No, I'm not. <laughs> um, but it's, we've mentioned this a few times. Our core team for sure knows, but I am about to enter in. Technically, June 1st is when it starts, but next weekend, there's a small group of us that are taking a mission trip to New Orleans, so we'll, we won't be here next Sunday. But I'm doing like a six-week break slash sabbatical. Sabbaticals are technically supposed to be longer, but I'm going to call it that for clarity. And, uh, and yeah, we're super excited. And here's a couple things specifically that you can be praying for our family for. I'll give you uh, three R's, okay? So rest. Everybody say rest. <laughs> reconciliation. Say reconciliation. There you go. And just refocus. So just three R's. We... We're doing great. We're doing fine. But this last three years of moving here to uh, plant this church has been a lot. And we've never taken this amount of time for this long to just unplug and just focus in fully on just resting in the presence of God, enjoying time with family. And I say that word reconcile, just, you know, that God would really speak to us. And if there's anything that just needs a touch from him, that he would touch those places. And then that refocus, I'm I'm a little nervous for you guys because I'm pretty confident on July 10th when I come back, I'm going to have a lot of ideas, a lot of vision, and we're going to go see revival like the next day. And it's going to be amazing. But uh, just really, I, I just we ask for your prayers. We need your prayers just for us to hear the Lord's voice and get fresh vision and focus for what he has for us. And because it really does mark, we believe, a significant time. Uh, uh, this three, like next month in June marks three years of us moving here to start this church. And just feel like it is a significant timing for us to intentionally unplug, reflect on what God's done, and then come back and say, all right, we have, we have planted a church. We've established a church here. And I'm so thankful for you guys. And we are healthier than we've ever been, stronger than we've ever been. And we've got people more committed than ever. Uh, but, like, this is just the beginning. Starting a church and establishing is just the beginning. There's a, there's a kingdom to be advanced. There are souls to be won. There is breakthrough to happen in northwest Arkansas and around the world. And we want to be a church that's a part of that. And I'm excited to come back with this fresh fire in my spirit for that. So uh, pray for us. Sound good? Every day for at least an hour for the next seven weeks. All right. All right. So you're in Second Peter uh, chapter 3. We're going to look at a passage in just a second. But what I get to do this morning is I get to wrap up an eight-week sermon series that we have been doing called Living for Eternity. And what, practically what we've been doing is journeying through First and Second Peter. And what we've been seeing is this underlying motivation to all the commands, all the principles, all the uh, words that you see in these passages about, hey, think this way, believe this way, walk this way, speak this way. There's this underlying motivation of the reason why it matters to do all those things is because we are living for eternity. We are not just living for this life. 
We are not just living to get fully satisfied and fulfilled here. We are living for eternity. And let me just give you my summary and my heart for this church as we have, are finishing up this series. And here's what it is. This is really just my heart for you as pastor of this church. Is I so desperately want every single one of you to have a joyful confidence when you stand before the Lord on the day of judgment. Knowing that you did not waste your life in compromise, knowing that you didn't um, get deceived by living a life of fruitlessness, but you can stand before the Lord with joyful confidence that you gave your all to him. Even in your weakness, even in your brokenness, even in your imperfection, as we all are operating in those things, that we can still say, at least I was a faithful steward of the life that God gave me. Where not only do we just think that this kind of subtle mindset is kind of in popular in, in America, and that is that, man, the only thing that really matters is if I, you know, prayed a sinner's prayer, gave my life to the Lord, nothing really else matters behind that. Well, no, 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 no. I want us to say, yeah, what well, the biggest decision that matters is if you gave your life to the Lord, but after that decision, how did you live your life? What did you do with the grace that God poured out over your life? And I just want us to have, I, I'm going to call it a joyful confidence that we stand before the Lord and we say, yes, we lived a life well done. You labored well, like I said about the deal. That is my heart for all of us, that we learn to love the Lord Jesus with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and we give ourselves to him. And, and that's really where we've been going, and I think that this morning will be a good message to wrap up with that topic, and I think it's really going to be helpful for some things that have only been escalating and accelerating in our culture, and I'm going to talk about a couple of those things uh, as we look at the word of God. So let's pray first, and let's ask the Lord to speak to us. And I want you to agree with me as I pray. Don't just listen to me pray. Agree with me. Lord, I just ask right now in the name of Jesus that you would just prepare our hearts, open our hearts to what you want to say today. We thank you for your word. It is living and it is active. Lord, we need your word. It is our anchor. It is the truth that we stand on. It's our solid rock, our solid foundation. So Lord, speak to us through your word. And I pray that we would be a church that is shining brightly in this generation amidst a culture that is primarily against you we just ask that we would be a a bride that is radiant and shining as a city on a hill and a light that cannot be hidden so lord we thank you for what you're going to do this morning prepare us in jesus name amen 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 okay i've got a question for you guys as we kick this off have you ever felt that you're in a moment when the pressure was on Nod your head. When it came down to just like crunch time, when time was running out and people around you are waiting on you and waiting to see if you can come through and you really begin to feel the pressure. Have you ever been in a situation like this? Here's a couple examples. Could be a deadline at work and your boss is counting on you to complete it and come through. For college students in the room, it could be exam week and you got to come through on that, on that final to get that A. It could be that feeling at the end of, a, of the month for some of us of how am I going to pay the bills? How am I going to get it all there? It could be that some of you for parents in the room, just a crunch time where you got to make a decision on schooling or you got to make a decision on a job or you got to make a decision on a move and time is running out. And in a serious note, hopefully rare, there might be some of us that have faced life and death situations where you need to make a quick decision. Or this one in particular will be pertinent for today. It could be as serious as after church, all your friends are looking at you to make the right call on where to go to lunch. <laughs> and you feel the pressure. Some of you hate that scenario, and, they say, and you say, don't look at me. 
regardless of the scenario, I would say most of us have had a moment where we felt like the pressure was on. For me, I remember a time years ago when the pressure was really on. It was a moment that some would say it came down to the wire. In fact, it came down for me at the last second. Everyone's eyes were on me, and I needed to come through. And it happened in 2006 when I was in high school, actually. And believe it or not, this is before the iPhone, but that moment of pressure was caught on camera. And because I love you, church family, I wanted to bring you into this moment where the pressure was on in my life. And so I have a video I want to show you real quick. Bear with the... uh, with the, the uh, it's 2006, all right, so not even an iPhone. So let's, let's, let me bring you into a serious moment in my life. Oh, wait, pause it, you got to get that sound. There it is, there it is, we're going to get this. That wasn't me. Whoa, there we go. Brings me to tears every time, guys. <laughs> Woo! Watch that every night before I go to bed. <laughs> Here, here's what I want to comment about these moments when we feel the pressure's on. Guys, it is so exhilarating and encouraging and uplifting when it's the pressure is on and you come through. And everyone's cheering you on, saying, yeah, way to go, Mitchell, way to go, Parker, way to go, Jeremy, way to go, Christian, way to go. When the pressure's on, people are encouraging you. Let's say you hit the deadline that your boss was hoping for, and you exceed his expectations, and he gives you a bonus. That's a great feeling, right? And if you had that feeling similar to that, it's amazing. Or when you study so hard for that exam, and you get the A that you were longing for, and you have a a 4.0 for your GPA. Amazing feeling, yes? Most of us, I guess, don't get 4.0s. But anyways, it's a good feeling that I heard some people had. (laughs) Never felt that one. Or you make a decision to save someone's life, or it could be that you make a last-second shot and the crowd is going wild and you're seen as the hero. But my point of talking about these moments when the pressure on is actually to flip it. And I want to ask the question, what about a moment when the crowd and those around you, it could be the crowd of one or two coworkers, it could be your boss, it could be a whole class, it could be a professor, it could be a stadium or a gymnasium full of people. What about when they're not cheering for you as the hero, but instead, whether you've done anything wrong or not, they see you as the villain? When the crowd, instead of cheering for you, is actually jeering at you in mockery and ridicule and scoffing, what do we do and how do we respond in those moments? Because that is a different feeling, right? And I just know across this room, you've had moments where you felt the pressure was on, but maybe in both ways, where you felt like, oh my goodness, it feels like everyone is against me. Oh my goodness, it feels like, man, this is a, this is a heated pressure, an accusatory pressure. 
Well, that's what I want to talk about this morning, because what you're going to see in 2 Peter 3 is this prophecy about what's happening and going to happen in the generation that gets closer and closer to the Lord's return. And it's about a pressure that is coming against the people of God. And I want to talk about it this morning, and I want to prepare us for that pressure. So are you guys at 2 Peter chapter 3? Are you there? 2 Peter chapter 3? We're going to look at verses one, primarily 1 through 4, but I'm probably going to keep reading all the way down to 7. They'll be on the screen. You can follow along with me. It says this. This is now the second letter that I'm writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. And here's the prophecy. Knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers, fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. I'm going to keep going. For they deliberately overlooked this fact that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. And that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and the earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. So let me go back up to the top and let me break down a couple of these verses and just comment on a couple of them. In verse number one, it says this is the second letter and he's saying, I am the purpose of me writing this to you is to stir up your sincere mind. Everybody say sincere mind. I think that phrase is important. What he's saying is like <laughs> sincere, like genuinely. Like what he's saying is, hey, church, hey, believers, I am telling you these things because this is serious and this is not a fairy tale. I am stirring up your sincere mind. And let me say it to you guys, Antioch Community Church, Northwest Arkansas. This word is not a fairy tale. Sometimes we get great goosebumps and feelings, and that's awesome. But this is more than just a made-up story. This is not just a fairy tale. This is reality. And when we talk about the word of God, what I want to do is I, wanna, I want your sincere mind, your genuine mind to be stirred, to be like, okay. I'm going to be sober-minded. I'm going to realize that this is not just a made-up fairy tale of life, that this is where I come, where everything's happy, and I go out into the real world. No, no, no. This, this, in his word, is the real world. And we look at prophecies like this, we need to understand that th this is a holy, prophetic scripture that will come to pass and is already coming to pass. And so we want our sincere mind to be stirred up. In verse 2, he reminds us that it's really, what he's saying is just a reminder it says the little phrase about, you know, what the holy prophets of old and what the Lord Jesus said. And so we'll look at a few examples in just a minute here about other prophecies of Scripture that are similar to this. But he's saying it's just a reminder. And then in verse 3, he says, first of all. He's saying, hey, first of all, I want you to remember this, church. I want you to remember this, believers. First of all, like this is very important. I want you to get this first. Then he goes on to say there's going to be scoffers. So let me just comment on that first of all phrase. And I think this is important for us because I don't, I don't know how a lot of you came to know Jesus. I don't know exactly the messaging. I don't know what the, what the hook was that made you say yes. Hopefully, for the majority of us, it was the genuine conviction of the Holy Spirit where you realized that you needed a Savior and that your sin caused death and separation from God and you were going to spend eternity apart from him in hell, apart from the saving work of Jesus. Hopefully that was in there somewhere. <laughs> but... What I love to see here is this, first of all, I want you to know, church, that 
it's actually not a promise to believers that if you follow Jesus, everything's just going to work out amazingly for you, and you're going to get amazing friends, and you're going to be accepted in every popular crowd. What he's saying is, first of all, I don't want to sell you short. I don't want your expectations to be off. I want you to know if you're going to follow Jesus wholeheartedly, there will be scoffers that come and scoff you. There will be mockers that come and mock you. There will be people that ridicule you for your faith in Jesus. And he sets that as a framework before he continues to exhort. Is this making sense? And so for us, I think it's important, no matter what went into the gospel that you received, it's important to know. And it's the same thing Jesus says. Like, if you're going to follow me, you're going to follow me. It's going to be a dying to yourself. It's a, it's a cost to consider because there, there are things that the world doesn't love about the ways of Jesus, which we'll look at a few examples in a minute. So I just think for us, it's important to know, okay, all right, that's part of the journey of following Jesus, and, and, and am I still in? In some nations around the world, before uh, a, a new believer gets baptized, they don't just ask, hey, is Jesus your Lord and Savior? Have you asked him into your heart? They also add a couple more questions, one of which is, are you willing to die for the Lord Jesus? And then they baptize them. If you can't say yes to that question, then they say you're not ready to be baptized. There's something still missing there. So we're going to add that to all of our baptism Sundays, all right? <laughs> Maybe, actually. Okay, then he goes on and says scoffers are going to come. And what do scoffers do? I think it's hilarious that it specifically mentions, hey, scoffers are going to come. And guess what they're going to do? They're going to scoff. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> that means mock or deride or ridicule and scorn and accuse. And it says following their own sinful desires which is another way to say the lust of the flesh or sin. And, and here's the deal. Here, here's why scoffers scoff. Here's why certain people hate the ways of Jesus and mock the ways of Jesus is because the ways of Jesus confront our sin. <laughs> the ways of Jesus do not allow us to embrace our sin. The ways of Jesus cause us to turn away from sin and to him. No wonder that they're scoffing. You will either, when you're confronted with sin, you will either humble yourself and repent and turn to the Lord, or you go the other direction, which is rear up and say, that can't be, and so no. Keep going here. It says they're mocking, and what are they mocking? Verse 4, it says they will say things like, where is the promise of his coming? And so what are they mocking? They're mocking biblical promises. Then it goes on to say in verse 5 through 7, they're mocking biblical teaching, biblical history. It says literally in verse 5, they're deliberately overlooking a couple specific things, the biblical creation account, Noah's flood, and judgment to come. Deliberately overlooking the biblical creation account, Noah's flood, and judgment to come. So here's the point that I think Peter is trying to make. He's trying to make sure these believers are aware and prepared to withstand the increasing mocking spirit and scoffing spirit that's against them for trusting Jesus and trusting the scriptures. Now, this is a pretty, um, you could say, heavy prophecy, but hopefully this will be, end up being helpful for us because I, I care a lot about us walking the narrow road of truth. And just in case you think this is an obscure prophecy, that it's nowhere else in Scripture, let me give you some amazing words from the mouth of our beloved Jesus, all right? And all four Gospels, right? I'm going to start in Matthew, then Mark, then Luke, then John. Look at these verses that Jesus says and just smile as you read them, all right? Here it says this, Matthew 24. It says, then they, the world, will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death. Wow. And you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. 
Then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. Look at Mark, Mark 13. It says, brother will deliver brother over to death and father his child and children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. Woo, intense. Okay, hopefully it lightens up in Luke. Luke 21, he says, you will be delivered up even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends. And some of you they will put to death. You will be hated by all for my name's sake. But not a hair of your head will perish. By your endurance, you will gain your lives. You see that theme of endurance for the believers? What do we have to endure because there's opposition, there's persecution, there's accusation, there's scoffing, there's mockery. All right, let's wrap it up with John. Now listen, this is the beloved John, all right, the guy who leaned on the chest of Jesus. All right, guy, it's all about love. Surely he'll take it easy on us. Here's what he says that Jesus said. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were one of the world, the world would love you just as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Wow. So I take you through that journey just to show us that, okay, there's something that is being emphasized here by the uh, Apostle Peter. Uh, it's emphasized through the mouth of Jesus multiple times that this is part of following Jesus it is this differentiation and this distinction between followers of Jesus and the ways of the world. And it's really clear that if we are born again, we are born out of darkness, out of this world, and into a new kingdom, the kingdom of God. And we are to look very different. And part of that calling is that there's going to be others that despise that we have made a decision to give our allegiance to King Jesus and not to the king, so to speak, of the world. And it reminds me of one more passage. Uh, if you can take one more heavy hitter, Psalm 2, it reminds me, these, these pro pro prophecies in the New Testament reminds me of, of something that King David poetically yet prophetically said in Psalm chapter 2, verse 1 through 3. S stick with me here. He says this, Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth, they set themselves and the rulers take counsel against who? Against the Lord and against, against his anointed. Who's the Lord's anointed? Jesus. Saying, and here's what they're saying as they come against him. Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. And let me comment on, on Psalm chapter 2 in particular. This psalm, let me say it this way. This psalm has been fulfilled, is being fulfilled, and will be fulfilled. Part of the fulfillment of this psalm was the crucifixion of Jesus. The kings, the leaders of the nation around, the Gentiles and the Jews, coming against, raging against Jesus. But it's not over. For 2,000 plus years, there has been a rage against Jesus and his church and the word of God. And escalating until the Lord's return, there's going to be a fullness in a, 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 of this prophecy being fulfilled where it will be on a worldwide scale where there will be nations and leaders of nations and rulers that I'm going to break down in a second that are against God and his ways, saying, let's burst his bonds off of us. And let me break some of that stuff down. Look at the first word rage in, in, in verse 1. That means anger, accusation, and no spirit of grace. It is against. 
with, with fervor. And who says kings and rulers? So the kings of the earth and the rulers take counsel. I believe kings could speak of literally leaders of nations. And you'll see the extreme signs of this that I don't think anyone would deny that in many communist nations there's presidents or leaders that literally and vehemently come against God and his word and ban scripture from their nation. Nod your head if this is clicking. Yes, and it is happening still today. Okay, that's the extreme version, but I think other than just extreme, there's, there's counsel that they're taking together, conversations they're having. Is how, can we, how can we get rid of some of this stuff? And, and then it says rulers. I believe that's not just like political leaders, but rulers can mean cultural influencers, those that rule the society, those that have a great following on Instagram. Not everybody that has a great following is in this camp, but there are plenty out there that have a great big influence but are not speaking and teaching the message of Scripture. And then what are they against? It says they're against the Lord and against, their, and against his anointed. And it might not come across with posts about I hate Jesus. In fact, most people are smart enough not to say that. <laughs> but here's what it sounds like. Verse 3, let us burst their bonds apart and cast their cords. What it's saying is that the ways of God, his word, his definitions of holiness, his definitions of right and wrong, his definitions are marriage of marriage and sexuality, they are bondage to us. Let's break that off of us. In one generation, church, listen, in one generation, we went from having Bible and prayer in schools to just in one generation, a whole shift into teaching young children about multiple genders and lots of sexuality options in one generation. And it has come from this, these prophetic, and just in our nation. And I want to say that not to scare you, but in a sense to just sound an alarm and say, just do you know what generation we're living in? There's been a lot of change. Even in the last two or three years, there's been a lot of significant change. And what is behind a lot of it is this feeling of get God's ways off of me. I don't want any boundaries. I don't want any accountability. I want to do what feels good to me. And if there's anything that stops my feelings, because my feelings is truth, if anything stops that, it is bondage. It is harshness. It's oppression. Whew. And how is the church to respond to that? And that's what we're talking about this morning. Here's, I already gave you a couple hints, but here's some of the ways it plays itself out in examples in our culture. I think the most obvious one is the topic of sexuality and gender identity. And let me pause on this. This teaching right now is not a teaching on necessarily how to handle these topics, how to talk with someone about these topics. What I'm intentionally doing is just addressing the elephant in our culture, I'll say, just to raise awareness and then later on, I'm going to give you a, 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 a plea, I'll guess, on how do we respond to this. But what I'm not talking about is how do you have conversations with people that are struggling with common things in our culture. Thankfully, as a pastor for multiple years, I've had plenty of opportunities to walk with people through difficulty. Because what I want to differentiate is the messaging of our culture as opposed to individual people with their struggles and their questions. Those are different things. The messaging of our culture has an agenda behind it that is against God and his ways. Many individuals are not there 
but they're, they're, they've been taught so many things that they're genuinely confused. And what do you do? You, you, you come low and you befriend and you love. There's plenty of guys that I've discipled that have walked through just the confusion of same-sex attraction. That is a real struggle for many. And, I, and we need to be there helping, listening, speaking truth, praying, fighting for them. And so we, we need to differentiate between the two. And this teaching is not how do you do this. After seven weeks, I'll maybe give a teaching about that. But this is just, I want to just call out the elephant in our culture and help us understand. And I think that this one in particular about gender and identity and, and sexuality, it goes beyond just, you know, hey, there's a different way, a different opinion. No, it has a little bit of an agenda behind it that if anyone doesn't fully embrace it, then I'm going against you and I'm attacking you. It is the burst their bonds at its finest. Now, in this cultural messaging, again, I'm talking about the messaging, there's just different taglines and slogans that boost the message, and I just want to be aware, want you guys to be aware, things such as love is love, or phrases that we throw around that gender is just a social construct of society, or throwing the words like discrimination and tolerance and hatred on anybody that doesn't fully embrace the cultural message. I just want to raise awareness that before you begin to use the phrases of our culture, just weigh them and see what, what, how does this line up with the word of God. Here's another one, another light one. Beyond just sexuality and gender identity, another one in our culture that's common is God's judgments, and particularly doing away with God's judgments. It sounds like this. If God is loving, how could he send people to hell? It leads to the idea that there are no consequences for our choices or our behavior, or it's not fair for there to be right and wrong. There's no true moral compass. It is based on our own decisions, and all of it is saying, I don't want to be held accountable for the way I live my life. Now, there are silly and simple ways that this plays itself out. Let me give you a couple. Okay, in young children's sports, there's a trend to not keep score anymore because we don't want the kids to lose, to feel bad. In fact, as a teacher, don't use red ink because red is mean. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> I still think that's funny. If you're a teacher and this is sensitive to you, I'm sorry I'm laughing, but red is mean, so don't gray with red ink. Or give your students a thousand chances in elementary, junior high, and high school to turn their papers in late and ex do as much extra credit so that they never end up failing a class. Notice I didn't say college. Apparently, they're, they're, they're not in the trend. College, you'll fail in college. All right. But no wonder <laughs> if you fail in college and college students in 1825, the highest percentage of anxiety and depression rates because we just don't know how to respond when we do something maybe wrong. And when we fail or when we come up short, we don't know how to respond. Or in parenting, the trend is not to spank your children because it might traumatize them or it's seen as ma uh, mean or abusive. When scripture teaches us to parents, don't spare your child the rod. It leads to life, and it's an example, if you discipline them diligently, that you love them. In fact, it literally says in Proverbs 23, don't spare them from striking them with a rod because it's not going to kill them. It's actually going to save them from Sheol or death. And I understand their sensitivity to these topics, but I just want to, again, sound the alarm and just, put it, just let you know that there are differences in the direction, and we can be influenced 
by trends and teachings and mindsets that did not start here, certainly didn't start here. Now, there's conversations to have, yes. Are there differences of opinions? Of course. But I just want us to be aware of where did that conversation start? Where did that trend start? And I want us to be a church that's rooted and grounded of at least understanding what does Scripture actually say. I'm not going to preach for seven weeks, so I've got to get it all out right now, guys. <laughs> and I'm not, and hopefully you don't feel this, I'm not coming against you. I'm just, I'm like, hey guys, let's, let's be aware of, of the hour that we're living in, the generation that we're living in. And this, I'm excited, what a privilege to live in this generation, where we have seen so much radical change against God and His Word. You know what that means? We get to be the most vibrant, alive church that's ever walked the planet. Because we're going to stay faithful to Jesus, let his power and his anointing and his love and his compassion come on us. And I believe if we take his word seriously, we're going to see the greatest revival that this generation has ever seen. But we just need to be aware that we're not following in step with the trends of the world. We're going exactly opposite. And guess what, guys? There are thousands of people, tens of thousands, millions of people out there that know that the trend and the, the path of the world leads to destruction. Even if they're not saved, you can see it. If you open Facebook or Instagram or this news, it leads to destruction and death. And they're looking for, is there any hope? And if they were to see a church alive, vibrant, not talking just like the world, but also not talking in judgment and condemnation, and hatred, but alive in Jesus, full of the spirit, full of joy, it's going to draw people to himself. And this is an opportunity, I would say, that we have in this generation. I'm so thankful. I'm talking to God this week and preparing this. I'm like, wow, thank you that I get to live in this generation. I wouldn't have had it any other way. What was I saying? <laughs> All right. Oh, just here's a couple of other examples of like doing away with God's judgment. There's this uh, organization called uh, Freedom From Religion Foundation. And they've been doing several things over the last couple of years and gaining some popularity. And uh, kind of the, the biggest thing that came out several years ago was during a presidential debate. There is this 30-second commercial from a guy that is on this Freedom From Religion Foundation, and he just boldly is proclaiming about his organization. And he says this phrase, I am an unabashed atheist, not afraid of burning in hell. Please support the Freedom From Religion Foundation. On national television, millions of people viewed it. Even in our own region, uh, region, there's a recent billboard on I-49 right off of Elf Springs. Um, it's one of those electronic ones that kind of rotate. And it's this picture of this cloudy, beautiful sky. And it says, the good news is there is no hell. Support the Freedom From Religion Foundation. And I just want us to think about what is being communicated, and do you realize that it is a complete and focused attack against God and his word and anyone that would believe it? It is a mocking spirit, just like Peter prophesied. It is accusatory, scoffing, mocking spirit that says, how could you believe that? <coughs> and what this whole doing away with God's judgment is, it's a despising of any form of consequences for our actions, decisions, and lifestyle. It's a hatred of accountability and it's as Psalm 2 says, it's a raging against God and his ways. And there's plenty of other things that we could <laughs> talk about of examples in our culture, but let me kind of get into how we respond. And in short, here's what I'm going to say, is we as a church must learn to stand firm 
amidst these growing cultural pressures against God and his word. We must stand firm. Everybody say that phrase. Say stand firm. We must stand firm. Here's a prophecy from 2 Timothy that I think communicates this really well as, as well. It says, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. And another lovely prophecy. Hey, we're going to face persecution and opposition if we want to live a godly life and stay faithful to Jesus. But what we need to do, we need to stand firm. And let me, let me unpack stand firm just for a second. I was, didn't plan to say this, but I think this would be helpful for us. So I'm going to show you with my hands here. So standing firm, uh, I'm thinking of like the narrow road. And there's different directions and ditches you can fall on with on either side. And here's one of them that I'm mainly talking about in regards to the messaging of our culture. You don't want to get into the ditch of compromise where you begin to undermine God's word and you begin to just feel and sound more and more and more like the cultural messaging and teaching. Where you water down different things and it starts with somebody convincing you that that's actually in the Greek and in the Hebrew and in the original this, that, and the other. They sound really smart, but then when you, there's just something that clicks inside of you that says, I don't know about that. Let me look into that. We don't want to go down this path of compromise where we begin to just agree with and sound like the world all the time. But let me, let me also try to explain this other ditch, which it, depending on your age and your background, you might be more prone to this ditch. We're not getting into a super strict, stern, unloving, condemning, I hate the culture, it's all evil, let's raise our uh, picket fences or whatever those signs, let's be super ultra conservative, let's make everything political. That's, that's not what we're going for. We're going for the narrow road where you can see that's a pitfall, that's a pitfall. You're walking the narrow road where you are submitted to the word of God, but in a spirit of joy and security and confidence and love. You're not angry at people all the time. You're not bashing our poli political system all the time, but you're walking in a spirit of love and, and meekness and humility, the ways of Jesus that are in his word. And then when you interact with the individuals or you interact with groups, you're filled with love and compassion. You're moved to tears because of people's brokenness, not anger because of it. We're walking the narrow road, and then when you have the opportunities to be friends with people that are in these compromises, you're able to communicate the gospel with sincerity and with love, and they get changed. There are people that I interact with in different settings, and I'm, I'm very imperfect in this setting, but one in particular that I just keeps coming to my mind is there's a guy that has fully embraced a different gender identity, but he always finds his way to sit with me at my table at Starbucks as I read the word of God, and I tell him I'm a pastor, and I love Jesus. There's something that is he's drawn to because I'm not distancing myself just because he's different, but I'm engaging with him saying, hey, God loves you. He loves you so much. I want to know you. I want to be your friend. And, man, I want us to have thousands of opportunities like that as the church because that's how people are going to be brought to Jesus. That's how we're going to see the greatest revival in this generation, walking the narrow road. All right. Here's how I'm going to close it out. I'm going to give you five specific things of how we can stand firm in the midst of this growing um, cultural pressure against God and his word. What, what time is it? How are we doing? I got seven hours because this is seven Sundays worth, all right? <laughs> what time is it? Oh, yes. All right, five things. You ready? Number one, if we want to stand firm, we must be grounded in the word of God. 
We must be grounded in the word of God. His word is our anchor and foundation and our solid ground amidst ever-changing ideas and teachings and culture. Jesus said in, in John 8 that if we abide in his word, we are truly his disciples and the truth will set us free. His word is truth. It helps us see clearly. It increases our discernment. We must be a people of his word. Now listen, if you are new to the word of God and it intimidates you, to see something like we must be a people grounded in his word. Listen, this is how it starts. It just starts one verse and one chapter at a time. And if you stick with it over a long period of time, what you're going to learn is you're going you're gonna to gain understanding of God's heart. You're going to learn what the scripture says. So just do it one step at a time. Now, if you've been following Jesus for a while, I want to also admonish you, stay in his word. Abide in his word means remain. So don't take on the mindset. I've read the Bible through a couple times. I mean, I don't need it that much anymore. I already know it says that. No, 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 no. God continues to give us insight into his heart and revelation of who he is as we stay in his word. That's why doing this little summer reading plan like we're doing this summer is just such a simple idea, and, we, and I do it on purpose. If you're already doing a Bible reading plan, great. Stick with what you already got. But if you're not, jump into this. One chapter a day, reading through the Gospels, getting to see the truth that Jesus preached, but the love and compassion he walked in, that's going to help us. And how do we engage this culture and not just silo off and say, forget you, we're going to store a bunch of food and guns, and we're going to fight back. That's not in Scripture. Gosh. <laughs> but engaging and, and taking any persecution that comes your way and loving and praying for people and engaging, no matter if it costs you your life, that's what's in Scripture. Think about Jesus. Think about Peter. <laughs> he did both. He went on both compromises. Ready? Peter, when, when Jesus was about to be arrested, first he went super ultra-conservative, and he cut off a guy's ear. I got my weapon. Food's in the storage unit. <laughs> okay? And then just maybe a few hours later, he went the other ditch. I don't even know that man. I don't even know that man. That's not true. No, no, no. Praise God for his redemption. If you find yourself leaning in any of these directions, there is grace and there is mercy and there is forgiveness. Praise God. But we're just, we're walking the narrow road. And um, why did I say that? Anyways, Bible reading plan. Just do it. Do it. If you're already doing something great, if you don't like when church tells you what to read, just get over that. Just read the Bible. All right. So if we want to stand firm, we must be grounded in the word of God. Okay, number two, we, we must be a praying church. If we want to stand firm amidst the cultural pressure against God and his word, we must be a praying church to think that we can come against massive demonic strongholds, principalities, and powers that have influenced our whole culture in one generation from teaching Bible and prayer in school to teaching different genders in society. In one generation, if we think we can come against that in our own strength, wisdom, persuasive words, we are foolish. We must access God and his power through the place of prayer. And I'll say it this way, our dialogue must primarily be vertical, not horizontal, if we want to see change. doesn't mean that we never speak horizontal. I, right now, I'm speaking to the church. There are times when I, I am questioned by someone else that's not a believer, and I will speak horizontally the truth. But primarily, our dialogue must be vertical if we want to see change and breakthrough around us. Ephesians 6.12 says, our, our battle is not against flesh and blood but against rulers, authorities, cosmic powers in this present darkness, and spiritual forces. And then in verse 18, it says that we pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all prayer and supplication. In order to stand firm, we must be a praying church. And when we access that place of prayer in His presence, our hearts change as well. 
and we're able to communicate more compassionately and lovingly when we get the Lord's heart. Now, number three, we must be committed to the local church. That's why I said we must be a praying church, not just praying individuals. Jesus said when two or three gather my name or agree on something in my name, boom, I'm going to do it. I'm going to show up. We must be committed to the local church to try to stand firm alone as a setup for us failing. This type of cultural pressure that's charged with demonic agenda, and when it comes against us, we will need the strength, encouragement, and support of the people of God around us. And not just do we need to go to a church, but committed to a local church. Not just attending a service, but letting ourselves be known. Because when you have people around you that know you, they're able to call out blind spots in your life or that we all have. And we need to be committed to his people. And what you see as you look at scripture is you see a group of people that, are, that know each other, that are deeply committed to one another, that share needs and meet needs and encourage each other, rebuke each other, that weep together, that rejoice together. You see a tight-knit group of followers of Jesus. So in order to stand firm, we must be committed to the local church. Number four, two, uh, number four and five is two things we must remember. Number four is we must remember that there will be a day of justice and judgment that comes. Right after the prophecy of 2 Peter 3 that we looked at, verses 8 through 10, it'll be on the screen, it says this, it says, do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is a thousand years and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but he's patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. And then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. So he's saying, hey, church, don't, don't forget. The Lord is not slow. He is coming. The day will come as a thief in the night, and we can trust in him. What that means for us as the church is we will need to patiently wait. We don't lash out in judgment against others. The Lord is the judge, and we wait patiently for him. All right, last but not least, here's what we need to remember. Number five, we must remember that our confidence is in God and not in ourselves. Let me be more specific. When you stand firm on the truth of God's word in this generation, what we're doing is we are not defending our beliefs. I'm not defending my opinions. I'm not defending what I believe. What we're doing is we are standing on God's opinion. We are standing on God's word, his truth, his beliefs. And guess, listen, this is so freeing to us. Because when someone comes against you and accuses you and says, how could you believe that? How could you live that? How could you think that way? You don't need to defend yourself because their problem is actually not with you. Their problem is with God and his word. And it frees you. You don't have to defend yourself. You can say things like, you know, I don't know. You don't have to know all the answers. It's freeing. It's amazing. It's like, hey, you know what? Great question. But I trust God. There's a few things he's revealed to me through his word. And um, I mean, I'll study it with you if you want. <laughs> and so it frees us to not respond in defensiveness. And let me tell you something about God. He is very secure <laughs> in what he knows as the truth. He is not troubled by the rise in culture against him. In fact, Psalm 2, right after what I just read, it says, verse 4, he, he who sits in the heavens laughs. And this is a, uh, a holy and a reverent and maybe a scary laughter 
This is not just a chuckling because somebody made a joke. Like, the Lord laughs at the nations and millions of people raging against God and his word. He laughs. He says it holds them in derision. He will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury. And he says this, as for me, I have set my king on my holy hill. He says, no, here's the way. Jesus is salvation. He is Lord. And it's his zeal that will accomplish that in the earth. And he's not changing. And because God is so secure and confident, we too as his children can be confident. So we must stand firm amidst the culture of pressure. And remember that our confidence is in God, not ourselves. So here's how I want to close it out. The band, go ahead and come on up. And I intentionally want you to just stay uh, in your seats for a second. And as I close, hopefully you got this. Can you put those five things up there one more time? Let me just read through them. You can take a picture again of this if you want. But in order to stand firm in this generation, we must be grounded in the word of God, must be a praying church, be committed to the local church, remember that there will be a day of justice and judgment, and remember that our confidence is in God and not ourselves. But here's a way that I would love to summarize what I'm saying amidst this cultural pressure. And that's this, is, is we get the invitation from the Lord to live not for the praise of man, but we get to live for the praise of God. Galatians 1 says it this way. Paul's like, hey, I'm not seeking the approval of man. Am I doing that or am I seeking the approval of God? If I am trying to please man, if I were still ple- to please man, then I would not be a servant of Christ. My prayer for us, my urge, and my plea to us is that we would be a people that live not for the praise and the accolades of man, but for the praise of God. And in fact, it, it goes right back to 1 Peter chapter 1, where we started this whole series eight weeks ago, is it goes to this place that I really want you to imagine this. Here's what it says in 1 Peter 1, 6 and 7. It says, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes through, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And that praise and glory and honor, I want you to see, that's not a bunch of people praising and glorifying God. What's happening there is your faith, the people of God that stand firm no matter what's going on in culture, that faith, that genuine standing firm, you will receive praise from God. And you will receive, we get weird about these words, you know, like praise and glory and honor, but the Lord loves to honor his people. And what we want at the end of the day is not that we had amazing crowds just cheering us on in the world that said we were just so amazing, but what we want is when we stand before the Lord, all of heaven is rejoicing. Thank you for staying faithful to my word. Receiving that type of honor is just going to be the greatest treat and privilege any of us ever experience. So here's how we're going to close. I'm going to put up on the screen several questions, and this is not necessarily questions to journal, but they are just questions to ponder. And what I want us to do is to look at these questions, and I want you to legitimately think about them. Please try not to check out. I know it's late. But I just want this to be a moment that is holy unto the Lord. And I want you to really consider the way I phrase some of these questions. And then we're going to keep them up there for a while. The band's going to start singing, but keep those questions up there for a while, okay? And what I want us to do in response is when you are ready, if you read those questions and you think about it and you actually ponder it, and if your answer is yes, 
then as what I'll call a prophetic act, I want you to stand, and I want you to just begin to worship God and say, yes, I am willing to stand firm no matter what might come, no matter what pressure I might face, I'm willing. But please don't do it quickly. I just want you to ponder it. Some of you are eager beavers. Yeah, I'm all in, I'm all in, I'm in. <laughs> you probably haven't faced that much pressure yet <laughs> because uh, I used to be like that more. <laughs> and after I'm facing a little bit of pressure, I think about things first. <laughs> and I'm like, all right, yeah, I'm still in, I'm still in. Okay, and this is unto the Lord. I'm going to pray for you, and then I want you to think about it for a little bit. And then when you're ready, and you, if you have a yes rising up in your heart, then stand. And just unto the Lord. Not to me, not to anybody else. Just stand on the Lord. Say, yes, God. If you're in this room and you have not ever put your faith and trust in Jesus, today would be a great day. You know what I'm talking about, about the difference of the ways of the world, and you seeing it lead to destruction. And you need hope, and you're looking. And hopefully this morning you felt the conviction of the Holy Spirit drawing you to Jesus. If you need to give your life to the Lord, then during this time, then you literally can come up to the front. You can kneel down. One of our leaders will come, put a hand on your shoulder, and just pray for you. But we're just believing that this morning will mark us and set us in a trajectory for the rest of our life, that we're going to be people that stand faithful and stand firm on God's word. Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for the generation that we live in. Thank you so much, Lord that you have called and chosen us to live in such a time as this. Lord, in this room, I just ask that we would have a yes in our hearts, that we are willing to stand firm no matter what the pressure is, no matter how it comes, no matter how intense it comes, no matter from whom it comes. Lord, we would be those that stand firm amidst growing cultural pressure against you. So touch our hearts this morning, Lord. In Jesus' name. Think about these and respond in your own way.